I'd like to invite you at this time to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47, it was uh, just the past couple of weeks that I realized we're getting pretty close to the end of this book. It's been a, a wonderful journey through uh, the book of Genesis, but we are uh, in the final stretch. As we come to chapter 47, considering the, the story of the generations of Jacob, uh, we, uh, we see now his encounter with Pharaoh and his uh, plans that he makes uh, just before his death. And so I'd like to read to us the entire chapter, uh, chapter 47, and so let us once again give ear to the reading of God's word. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from, his, from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe in the land, 
the, the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests did he not buy. For the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is the seed for you, and you shall sow in the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as for food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and that you continue to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that as your word is proclaimed, that you would pierce our hearts with your truth, that you would grant to us faith to believe all that is promised to us in the gospel, as well as hearts of gratitude for all that Christ has done. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord, the entire covenant community has now relocated down to the land of Egypt as a result of the severe famine which had spread throughout all the land. We saw last week that father and son, after 22 years of being apart, were finally reunited as Jacob received his son Joseph, whom he thought dead. And so he received him, as it were, back from the dead. And after that tearful uh, embrace that they shared, Joseph had carefully coached his brothers for their audience to Pharaoh, to, with Pharaoh to ensure that they would be able to reside in the land of Goshen, which would keep them properly isolated from the rest of the Egyptians so that they could grow from a family of 70 souls into a nation as numerous as the sands of the seashore. The fact that they were shepherds all but guaranteed the fact that they would be left well alone as a result of the fact that the Egyptians uh, viewed the uh, shepherds with suspicion. We read that that all shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians, and so they would have no interaction with the Egyptians as they were able to reside and live safely in the land of Goshen. So as Joseph had said, he, we read in our passage today, went and told Pharaoh of the arrival of his family from the land of Canaan. You may recall it was Pharaoh on his own initiative 
who had invited Jacob, Joseph's family to come, Jacob and all of his offsprings, to bring everything with them. And he, uh, he offered that, that he would give them the best of the land. Well, now they, having arrived, uh, Joseph announces their arrival and mentions the fact that they are in the land of Goshen. You see, when Pharaoh had invited the covenant community to come down, he didn't specify where they would live. And yet, even in the, in the announcement of their arrival, it's as if Joseph is planting that idea in Pharaoh's mind. They're in Goshen. That might be a nice place for them to live. And so selecting a delegation of five of his brothers, they make their appearance before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And the, the way in which they conduct themselves before Pharaoh is, uh, is uh, very formal. You'll notice the court etiquette. They refer to themselves in the third person as your servants. Uh, they, uh, you know, there's a lot of form- formalities here where it's Joseph who is sort of the mediator between his brothers and Pharaoh. When Pharaoh speaks to them, he speaks to them through Joseph. And so he asks them their occupation, and they, they reply, as Joseph had told them, with the truth that they are shepherds. And they explain that the conditions in Canaan are far too severe for them to keep their herds in the land of Canaan. Uh, and so they request to sojourn in the land of Goshen. Now, that word sojourn is a key word in our passage today. And basically what it means to sojourn is to live in a land that is not your own. To reside somewhere for even a very lengthy amount of time, and yet you are not a resident of the land, or you are not a citizen of the land, you are rather what we call a resident alien. And so that is their request, that they, they, they do not ultimately, even, if, even though they will remain there for the rest of their lives, they see this as a sojourn in the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh, upon receiving this request that they sojourn in the land of Goshen, he replies to Joseph, and he warmly welcomes Joseph's family, and grants that they may live in the land of Goshen, which he characterizes as the best of the land. This would be the most ideal place, uh, Goshen uh, being in the northeastern area of the Nile Delta. Remember, the Nile flows from south to north, and it lets out uh, into that Nile Delta area. That's where the land of Goshen is located. And so that will be their home for the rest of their lives and for the next 400 years as the people of Israel will continue to grow. But on top of that, not only are they warmly welcomed by Pharaoh, but they're even given a job by Pharaoh. Notice there in verse 6, he says, If you know of any able men among them, put them in charge of my flocks. And this will be noteworthy, considering the fact that Pharaoh's uh, own uh, uh, possession of cattle is going to expand exponentially as he becomes in charge of everybody's cattle in the land of Egypt. And so uh, Joseph's family are given jobs uh, on top of their own uh, occupation of being shepherds. Uh, We can compare this to stuff we read of uh, in ancient history. Uh, Just by way of comparison, Ramses III, another pharaoh, we know employed 3,264 men to take care of his herds, most of whom were foreigners. So this idea of a Pharaoh giving this job to foreigners is not unheard of and makes sense with what we know of uh, from the from other extant li- li- literature of the ancient world. 
And then after Joseph's brothers leave, we read that Joseph now brings his father Jacob to stand before Pharaoh. And here is a marked contrast between his encounter with Pharaoh and that of his brothers. You'll notice the formal court etiquette is done away with. Jacob doesn't refer to himself as Pharaoh's servant, but rather it's as if Jacob is the superior to Pharaoh, who is the most powerful man in the world. And we know that because the first thing we read is that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. He blessed him. Hebrews chapter 7 says it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Uh, Making that point from the story we read of in chapter 14, where Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And the author to the Hebrews says that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham because he blessed him. Well, so applying that same logic here, we can see that Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, is superior to Pharaoh in that he comes before him and blesses him. And Pharaoh obviously is very impressed with Jacob. In particular, he's he's blessed or he's impressed with his age. He says, how many are the days of the years of your life? How old are you? He asks. We know that the Egyptians were obsessed with death and the afterlife and living as long as possible. It was considered that the ideal lifespan in Egypt was 110 years, which coincidentally is the amount of time that Joseph will end up living. But here he can see that this man is far past 110. And so he asks him, how old are you? And notice how Jacob responds in verse 9. He says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Now, Pharaoh had asked, how many of the days of the years of your life? And yet, Jacob replies by saying, the years of my sojourning are 130 years. That is, he characterizes his entire life as a sojourn. Even not, not just, not even the time that he is in Egypt or even the time that he was in Padan Aram, but the entirety of his life living in the land of Canaan, all of that was a sojourn. He was living away from his homeland. And so here in giving him his age, he confesses that he was a stranger in exile on the earth. People who speak that way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, as Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us. And so in answering this question, uh, how old he is, he's making a confession of faith that he is a stranger and exile, and the entirety of his life can be characterized as that of a sojourn. This world is not his home. He's just passing through. But then he goes on to characterize his life by saying few and evil have been the days of my life. Now, we might be impressed, as Pharaoh was, with with 130 years old. I, I don't know about you, but I've never met anyone who's lived that long. And yet Jacob is not impressed with the length of his life. He says they've been few. He says they have not attained to the years of my fathers, keeping in mind that Abraham had lived 175 years and Isaac, his father, had lived 180 years. Jacob feels like he's being cut short at only attaining ultimately 147. But then he also says they've been evil. They've been filled with bad stuff. And we might wonder at this point, is Jacob ignoring the fact 
that this book has a happy ending? Did he forget the fact that he was reunited with his son, whom he presumed to be dead after 22 years, and he had that tearful reunion? Is he forgetting the fact that his whole family, all 70 souls of the covenant community, are now securely residing in Egypt where they could live happily ever after? Is he just being being a grumpy old curmudgeon? Maybe when you're 130, you could just talk that way. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. I don't think so. I think Jacob has an accurate reflection upon his life, not ignoring the joys that came, but when comparing his life with the way things should have been, when comparing his life with the way in which things were made in the beginning, when God looked at all things and said, it is very good, I think it's, it's accurate to be able to say that the years of his life have been few and evil. Even thinking back, the story of Jacob is one that is full of sin and misery, both his own and others and, and others that have been inflicted upon him. The life of Jacob that we read, the, the longest portion at the end of the book of Genesis, Genesis is an accurate portrayal of life after the fall, of life lived east of Eden, apart from the presence of God and in the midst of human sin and misery. And here Jacob confesses that he will not be fully happy until he reaches his heavenly homeland. I think Moses has the same sentiment in Psalm 90 when it says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So Moses has a prayer. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And perhaps you're sitting here today and you're saying, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Few and evil. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Keep in mind that this is not your home. That this sojourn, as long as it it may be, in the grand scheme of things, is short. And it is not worth comparison to the joys and the glories that God has made for us and is preparing for us even now. Well, as, Pharaoh depart, or as, as Jacob departs Pharaoh's presence, we read again that he blessed him, reiterating the point that he is the superior here. And it's important to note the fact that he has blessed Pharaoh, and this is, uh, this is an expansion of what God had said previously to Jacob and to his forefathers when he says, I will bless those that bless you. You see a pattern in the book of Genesis that when everyone, when, whenever anyone treats the covenant community, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob and their family, uh, treats them well, then they get a blessing out of it. You may recall King Abimelech or even Jacob's uh, uncle Laban or uh, even Potiphar. Things went well as a result of the fact that they, had, they were surrounded by the covenant community. And, and so here too. Pharaoh, having treated Joseph's family with favor, he now in turn receives the blessing. And you see tangible results of that blessing almost immediately in our passage as Pharaoh is enriched as basically the entire land of Egypt, save the land of the priest, becomes his. So getting back to our story, we see in verses 11 and 12 that Joseph settles his father. He makes good on his promise to take care of his family. 
You may recall back in chapter 45, he describes this by saying, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. So here we see that protection that Joseph had promised. He makes good on that promise as he sets up his family in Goshen. He provides for them according to the number of their dependents so that they do not come to poverty as a result of this severe famine in which there is five years left of it. And that's really what the rest of our passage steps back, taking kind of a, a a bigger view of the famine, it tells the story of how Joseph, as the one who's in charge of it all, uh, of the distribution of the grain that he had saved, we see his wise and benevolent leadership as he deals with the Egyptians throughout the seven-year famine. We're reminded of the fact in verse 13 that the famine was very severe. It had spread throughout all the known world. And so the situation here is very dire. And we read that Joseph had gathered up all the money. One way of translating this word gathered could also be scraped up. You know, it's like when you're, uh, you you realize you you didn't bring your wallet and so you have all that change in your car and you're getting all the quarters out of there and all the dimes and you're trying to see if you have enough money uh, to buy lunch, right? You're, You're scraping it up. That's what literally is what's being described here as all the Egyptians are looking for every last uh, you know, piece of silver they have so that they can buy grain and all of it is spent so that there is no money left. And Joseph showing that he's a faithful servant, that he's not greedy, that he's not one to skim off the top. We read that he had put all of that money in Pharaoh's house. He's enriching his master and blessing him uh, as, as Pharaoh continues to be, uh, as he increases here. But with no money left, the people now come to Joseph in verse 15 and beg him for more grain. And so he offers to give them grain in exchange for their livestock. He says, give me your horses, give me your flocks, your herds, your donkeys. Give all those to me and I will give you grain so that you may live. Now this seems reasonable. If they didn't have any grain, then they certainly wouldn't be able to feed their animals, let alone themselves. And so all of that now goes to Pharaoh and the people get Uh, get their grain. But then the following year, having spent all their money, having sold their cattle, they now come to Joseph with empty pockets. They say, we cannot hide the fact that all of our money is spent. And so what do they do? Well, they offer themselves and their land in exchange for food so that they would be sort of tenant farmers or indentured servants. They'd still be able to live on their land And yet the land would not belong to them, it would belong to Pharaoh. They would be given grain to eat and seed to plant at 20% interest. And yet they could continue to live, they would not die, and the land itself would not become an arid desert, but it would be cultivated uh, for when when the rains finally do come. And so they make Joseph this offer, and Joseph did, as they requested, bought up all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh and enslaved the entire population, giving them grain to eat and seed to plant. All, of course, except for the priests, who already by law had their allowance and their land uh, from Pharaoh. 
keep in mind that this, uh, this priest group of people includes Joseph's father-in-law. Uh, and so that's very convenient for you know, family dinners. You don't have to worry about your father-in-law being upset. Uh, he, uh, he and all the rest of the priests are protected from this law. Now, this might seem harsh to us by our standards today. I think after the slavery of the American South, we as Americans despise slavery, and rightly so, and especially that type of slavery we had in our recent history. And yet, it's important to keep in mind that Joseph here is not being presented as a harsh taskmaster, but a wise and benevolent leader. This way of, of selling yourself to get yourself out of debt or selling yourself in order to get grain to live was a common way to deal with these problems in the ancient Near East. And we even read of this in God's law. In Exodus 21 or Deuteronomy 15 or Leviticus 25, you see specifications for what would happen if a Hebrew, if an Israelite became indebted and wasn't able to pay his debt, he would, he would be an indentured servant for six years, but in the seventh year, he would go free. Now, centuries later, I think the Israelites would really get a kick out of the fact that Joseph had enslaved the entire Egyptian population. And yet also, I think they would see a stark contrast between Joseph's wise and benevolent leadership as he gives them the food, the grain that they need to eat, the the seed that they need to plant, and contrast that with their harsh and wicked taskmaster, the Pharaoh that would come centuries later. But also this would be an important lesson for the Israelites. Do you remember what we read today in Deuteronomy chapter 5? When the Lord tells the Israelites that they should rest on the Sabbath day, and not only them, but also their servants. And what is the motivation for that? You shall remember that you were once a slave in the land of Egypt. And so here, seeing Joseph's wise and loving, benevolent leadership over the people, they too should take that to heart and treat others accordingly, especially those under their care, whether it be their servants or the sojourner who is within their gates. Well, there we see in a nutshell how it is that Joseph was able to to manage this famine and uh, and able to save many lives, uh, to save the entire Egyptian population uh, as a result of his wisdom in gathering grain through the years of plenty. And yet, the, is- the Egyptians were impoverished. They spent all their money, they sold all their cattle, they sold their lands, and they themselves had become slaves to Pharaoh. And so what a stark contrast between that picture that we see in, in our passage and what we read in verse uh, 27 about Joseph's family when we read that they settled in the land of Goshen and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. This is the exact opposite of what's happening to the rest of the Egyptians throughout the time of famine. You see, God is able to bless them as the Israelites grow, gain possessions. And this will continue ultimately until the time of the Exodus. As we read in Exodus chapter 1, that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So, the, so that the land was filled with them. So here we see God making good on his promise that he would increase and bless, make them fruitful and multiply as he continues to build his church. 
Our passage concludes with this uh, little postscript as we read about the last days of Jacob that were spent in Egypt. We read that he lived 17 years in the land of Egypt. It's interesting that Joseph had lived the first 17 years of his life under his father's care. And Jacob lived the last 17 years of his life in Joseph's care. And as the time of his death draws near, Jacob summons his son to his deathbed and makes one final request. He says, if I have found favor in your sight. Now, this is an odd way for a father to speak to a son. Uh, And yet, recognizing that Joseph is a man of authority, he here is underscoring the seriousness of his dying wish. He says, this is how you will treat me kindly and truly. Uh, In other words, This is how you will show loyalty to me as your father and faithfulness. He says, do not bury me in Egypt. Do not bury me in Egypt. Now, Egypt, as you know, is a land that is filled with magnificent tombs. They were people that were consumed with the idea of the afterlife. Even to this day, tourists flock to Egypt to visit the tombs. And so if there's any place to be buried in the ancient world, want to be buried in Egypt, to be given this grand uh, 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 entrance into the afterlife. And yet Jacob says, do not bury me here. Take me to the land of Canaan. Bury me in the same cave that my father and my grandfather were buried in, in the cave of Machpelah. You see, by, being, by requesting uh, to be buried in the cave of Machpelah with the rest of his family, Jacob once again is making a last claim to the land of promise. He's confessing once again that he is a stranger in exile in the earth. And in in doing this, this request on his deathbed, he, like his fathers, is dying in faith, laying claim to that heavenly homeland, which the land of Canaan was a type and shadow of. So this is the last thing that he does in laying claim to the promises of God. Don't bury me here. Take me to the place where the rest of my family is buried in the land of promise. And Joseph, always the obedient son, says, sure, absolutely, dad, I'll do that for you. I'll bury you in the land of Canaan. And yet Jacob makes him swear, swear to me that you will do it. So he swears a solemn oath saying that he will not bury him in Egypt, but he will take him to the cave of Machpelah, to the family burial ground, so that he could lay claim to the promises of God. And having summoned his strength to make that that last request in faith, Jacob, at the end of our passage, lays his head back on his bed and waits for his short and evil sojourn to come to an end. And as we consider Jacob in his life, And the fact that he confessed that he was a stranger in exile on the earth, we see that we have a lot in common with him. For we too are strangers in exiles. This world is not our home. We may be uh, residents here. We may be citizens of the United States. And yet ultimately our citizenship is in heaven from whom we await our Savior. And we, like Jacob, are looking forward to the end of our short and evil sojourn. And yet there's a difference between his sojourn and ours in that the author to the Hebrews in reflecting upon Jacob, uh, sorry, Jacob's sojourn, uh, in reflecting upon that and, and, and his father's sojourn, 
We read in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, Jacob on his deathbed could look forward and see from afar the realization of the promises of God. And yet we as Christians living after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, these promises are not afar, but they're right here in our midst. You see, we have the heavenly realities that that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could only see through the types and shadows. We have the fullness of revelation given in Jesus Christ. We have the hope of glory and the new and better covenant that he is a mediator of. Amen? Let's give thanks.